Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Welcome to episode 19 of the Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz and I'm your host and uh, our usual format on the show is that we will shortly be joined by Chris Frame to talk all things cruise news and maritime history. Uh, a little later in the show, we'll answer some listener questions. And then last up, we're going to be joined by Honey, who, to be completely cr- transparent, is a uh, a blogger. I guess some would consider her an influencer. And her review was based on a cruise where she was hosted by the cruise line. Uh, but given that the cruise line is relatively newish to the Australian market, but certainly growing in popularity, um, I wanted to hear all about uh, Honey's experience. And uh, we're going to share that with you a little later in the show. Now, if you yourself have a listener question or if you want to review a recent cruise holiday, when I say recent, I mean within the last 18 months or so, um, you can, you're more than welcome to get in touch with us via the website, uh, thebigcruisepodcast.com. There is a little button called Join the Show. Click on that and you can uh, tell us about your ship. You can ask your question and uh, we'll get in touch to arrange a recording. But without further ado, let's jump straight into the show. <laughs> And once again, it's that time of the show where we welcome back our good friend, cruise maritime historian, Chris. Welcome back. Thanks so much, Barry. It's great to be back. And uh, we'll kick off with a little bit of maritime history. Yes, well, it's a maritime history story that actually can be linked right to current day events because uh, anybody who's probably been on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook who follows cruising would most likely have seen some of the most dramatic and uh, in some cases heartbreaking images coming out lately from the cruise industry of the beaching of various cruise ships in the scrapyard in Turkey. And that includes um, some very dramatic footage of fantasy, Carnival's fantasy, and her sister ship, Inspiration, being run aground there for their um, for their dismantling and, and recycling, as Carnival's putting it, um, in, in Turkey. And so this got me thinking about the fantasy class, because both of those ships are ships from the fantasy class of ships. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever cruised on, on any of them. 
Not fantasy um, class, no. I've cruised on a lot of carnival ships, but not mm, fantasy. Because they usually they usually stick around the the US market, so it's very un, unusual to see them um, outside of that that US market. So I guess for US cruisers, you most likely would have seen them in different ports. But uh, those of us in Europe or Australia um, don't usually see the fantasy class. But they were. Uh, the first of Carnival's really big ships, and I say really big, I mean, by today's standards, they're, they're sort of considered mid-sized, small to mid-sized ships, and 70,000 tons. But back in the 90, late 1980s when they were being designed, they were significantly larger than their predecessors. Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually like a large version or sort of a grown-up version of the Holiday class, which was Carnival's yeah. very popular um, previous class of ships. Um, so the first one was the Fantasy. She was the first ship built, went into service in 1990. That's why it's called Fantasy Class, because the class of ships is usually named after the first ship in that in that sure. class. Um, and they were built at uh, the Kvenia Yards in Finland. Um, in total, there was, uh, there was a whole sort of fleet of them from 1990 with, with Fantasy. Then the next one was Ecstasy, then Sensation, Fascination, Imagination, Inspiration, and, and, and Elation. And the last one in 1998 was Paradise. Um, so there's a whole whole group of them, very much the same sort of layout and design. Paradise, that famous, is, sorry, that famous Joe Farkas design. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah, so Joe Farkas and uh, the, the the ships were very um, very interesting on their interiors. They they were um, the first sort of to step away from that more sort of quintessential cruising image and really bring in that sort of stepping into another world and kind of coming into a wonderland when you go on board these ships. So yeah. they've got these enormous um, domed glass um, covered atriums in the center of the ships. They they had uh, uh, glass elevators. They had uh, water slides included on board right from the very beginning, which was quite different. Of course, now lots of cruise lines do that. Um, they also a bit sort of unique in their design because they don't have that many balconies. The original design, at least, didn't have that many balconies. Um, they actually had some hull holes, which is something that's been used on other ships um, in, in the past, um, which is sort of like a balcony that's set into the hull uh, of the ship rather than it being sort of that glass-clad balcony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the lifeboats are on the top deck, which is a little bit, or at least on the upper decks of the ship, is a little bit like reminiscent of the old um, ocean liners where the lifeboats were right up, right up top. But, um, yeah, so from, from Fantasy in 1990 all the way through eight years of, of building these ships through to Paradise, uh, Paradise herself was was quite um, famous when she first came into service because her name Paradise referred to the fact that she was a completely non-smoking ship, which included crew as well. I um, forgot about that. Yeah, and so when she first came in, I don't know if you remember, they um, they had uh, a huge no-smoking sign on both sides of the ship when she first entered service. Um, <laughs> now, of the fleet, a few of them, well, a group of the ships were actually given multi-million dollar refurbishments when they actually um, added in balcony cabins to the aft of the ship and also in the center. There's like a sort of central core of the ship where the lifeboats don't, um, there's a gap in the lifeboat. So they were able to put them down into the into the superstructure in the hull, which did make the ships look a little bit sort of boxy and a bit strange in terms of their um, external appearance. But it did allow them to obviously offer a higher grade of accommodation, which a lot of people w- were sort of looking for. Interestingly enough, fantasy and inspiration were not given those refurbishments and so fantasy the oldest one in the fleet um kind of made sense i guess that she's probably um was one of the ones that was flagged for um retirement but inspiration only entered service in 1996 and yet she's been um now sent to scrap before 
um, say ecstasy or sensation, which are much older, but they'd had the refit and she hadn't. So right. that might explain why. I mean, a lot of people are like, why do they choose these particular ships? That might explain it. I mean, obviously we don't know, but that might explain why those two were, were, were sent off um, to, to be recycled. So, um, and remarkable because, you know, you think about it, this is when the 1990s cruising was now starting to become um, as popular as sort of ocean liner voyages used to be all those decades before. And at 70,000 tons, these ships were the same size as, um, as the QE2, for example. They were yeah. um, bigger than um, great ocean liners like uh, Imperator or uh, Lusitania or Mauritania by, by, by uh, you know, thousands of tons. Um, and so uh, today kind of considered, as I mentioned, the smallest, smallest sort of ship, but definitely were responsible for that growth of Carnival that leads it into becoming the, the, the massive brand that it is today. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it, it, I guess the, the continuous refurbishment just shows that, you know, the cruise lines do continually invest in these these older ships right up until um, to, to the very end. You know, there's been millions of dollars spent on mm. uh, the ships with the, the evolution of fun and fun ship 2.0 upgrades, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, sad time. That's just it. And the, the, I mean, we've never, like, obviously ships have been scrapped for as long as ships have existed. But today seeing... Um, you know, there's the Sovereign and Monarch from Pulmanta. There's Fantasy and Inspiration from Carnival. You know, a few months ago, these ships were operational, completely operational with passengers on board. There was no plan, I don't think, in the short term to to retire them the way they've been retired so quickly. And so you see these this footage from on board the last voyages of them going off to the scrapyard and the ships look immaculate. There's like, yeah. they're painted yeah. nicely. They're, they're, their bows are all, you know, nicely nicely painted their interiors are all still sort of there and they've been de-stored and heavy equipment like um you know and stuff have been taken off the ships but you know you'd, you wouldn't know from seeing pictures of them on their way to the scrapyard that they were at the end of their days so it's yeah, quite exactly. dramatic yeah <laughs> to see it now we've been talking a little bit about the restarting of cruise um back in europe in particular we've had mm. a few uh, road bumps this week let's quickly touch on those yeah so there's been um unfortunately a few um incidents on the various cruise ships that have um some of the cruise ships that have restarted cruising which has again put cruising back into the the headlines i suppose for all of the all of the wrong reasons um there's been an outbreak on board um Hertegruten. there was one passenger um on paul gugan who was tested positive for for covid and then also a scare on board um, a sea dream ship um which again has, has sort of sort of fueled that question as to whether or not cruising had restarted too quickly and how can it, can it, how can it happen? Now, we don't really want to dwell on negative news too much, so I've actually put together a, a video on my YouTube that looks into what's okay. actually happening. So I guess if um, if you um, would like to refer anybody to there to there on the show notes, it's on, it's on sure. my YouTube channel, and it just sort of goes into it. It's about you know about a six or seven minute minute conversation to just explain what's going on with the cruise ships at the moment. Brilliant, will do. And another little twist in Europe, um, AIDA, which is the German brand for, for Carnival Corporation, mm. um, was planning to sail with Germans out of Germany um, and just going out to sea, but they, they were blocked at the last minute. Yes, and um, blocked by Italy, interestingly enough. Now, here's the thing. The AIDA ships um, are operating for a German brand, part of Carnival Corporation. They sail primarily out of German ports, but um, these particular cruises, as you mentioned, were, were definitely... Um, German-based cruisers, but the ships are flagged, uh, registered in Italy. Um, Port of Registry is Genoa in Italy, and they they fly the Italian flag, which means that in order to get clearance to sail on any voyage, they need to have clearance from their flag nation. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it appears that they haven't been able to receive that clearance. So they've had to cancel, I think it was at least two of the cruisers um, on board Aida Prima, oh, sorry, Aida Perla um, and Aida Mar have had to be um, cancelled, which um, again is, you know, for people who are ready to, to go, it's a bit of a surprise. And uh, people don't really understand how this flag of, um, of convenience or the ship's flag port of registry really works. Um, not to spend the entire podcast plugging my YouTube, but I have got a, <laughs> a conversation there with Commodore Rin, former captain. I remember, of the I remember, yeah. Queen Mary too. So uh, again, it's a, it's a sort of longer than we have. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite confusing. And, um, but basically like that's where the ship's registered. So you have to follow the rules of the country where you're registered. And, um, quite a few um, ships, cruise ships are, I mean, there's a lot of talk about flag of convenience and how they're all flagged in sort of, um, Caribbean islands or whatever, but that's not necessarily true. Um, Royal Caribbean um, Carnival, they, they flag them in various different areas. But when you look at um, AIDA, it's flagged in Italy. Um, Costa's flagged in Italy. There's uh, Holland America, which is flagged in the Netherlands. So there's uh, there's all sorts of different options to flag your ships in different places. Yeah, Malta's another popular uh, yeah, Malta. registry as well. And yeah. in fact, the PO Australia fleet's flagged in the UK. So you've got uh, Pacific Jewel yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or Dawn, for example, and it's got um, London on the stern. There's no way that ship could ever get into London. Um, <laughs> so you know it's too big. But um, this this doesn't really matter. It's just it's it's done for 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 legal and registration reasons and that sort of thing. So yeah, once again, I'll put the link to uh, yours and Captain Rin's uh, sorry Commodore Rin's <laughs> um, video um, in the show notes as well. Thank you. Now, Clear, which is the global organisation uh, that represents 99% of uh, the cruise industry, um, had an announcement this week. Yeah, so the, the CLEAR group of, um, and everyone who sort of is part of CLEAR has uh, extended their voluntary cruise pause through to the end of October. Um, but I guess this isn't really a surprise because many of the cruise lines who are CLEAR members have already preempted this in previous podcasts we've spoken about, the various cruise lines that are um, that are extending their, their pauses for, for different reasons. Um, so, for example, Cunard and, and I think P&O has extended it through to um, to November, Princess is, is even further. I think it's the end of the year. Uh, and some cruise lines have even extended theirs and not, and not restarting until 2021. Um, so I guess this is just uh, bringing all of the industry that are members of CLEAR together to have some sort of, some sort of um, benchmark as to when um, things on a larger scale that we're, what we're seeing at the moment might restart. Yeah, hopefully we'll receive an announcement from uh, the Australian authorities because obviously we're paused till September at this stage. Mm. Um, I'm guessing it's likely that it will be extended, but yes. uh, we just need to, to know how far out they're, they're going to extend that. So we, we wait for that news. It's funny because uh, a lot of people are chatting about the, the, the announcements of cruise brands extending their pauses through to sort of November or early 2021. And there's always this exception, except Australia, because I guess Australian authorities haven't announced when it's going to be extended to. So it sounds as if Australia is going to, uh, you know, in these announcements as if Australia might be opening up sooner. But as you say, I don't think it will. I think it's just a matter of they haven't announced it yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, Celebrity Cruises recently polled um, Australian and New Zealand agents and uh, came back with some interesting feedback. Yeah, so they did a survey with some uh, with the travel agents, obviously a very important part of the cruise industry. Um, and they've Notice that there's actually, despite everything that's been going on, there's a great deal of support for cruising in the future from both the agents and also the people that the agents are dealing with. You know, a um, lot of uh, travel agents at the moment and, and, and people in the cruise sort of sales business have had to be dealing with a lot of cancellations. But at the same time, there are people who are actually making, you know, bookings for the future. And as we've talked about in previous podcasts, the cruise lines are 
sort of extending out their um, inventory into 2022 and 2023 to allow for this. So some of the takeaways, I suppose, from it is um, that there's a very high level of confidence, nearly 90% of people um, thinking that Australian-only coastal voyages will become very popular as um, things start to improve here. Hopefully, um, you know, the rest of the, uh, the the country can get into a position that's as, as good as some of the Australian states where, where there is no community transmission. Um, and they also have a very high sort of level of confidence of what's going on um, in New Zealand. And so New Zealand coastal voyages or um, voyages that depart from New Zealand, they believe will be, become a popular option for people in the in the not too distant future. Um, they also feel that there's uh, a, will be a growing demand, I suppose, for longer voyages once there is proven health and safety measures on board ships. So again, like there's all this talk about how you can keep people safe on the ships until some ships are sailing and successfully doing that. I guess the majority of people don't really know how that's going to pan out. So that's, that's why there's sort of that bit of, bit of a caveat there, I, I imagine. Yep. Um, but something like 84% say that, um, that overnight stops, for example, on cruises are important for passengers. So a lot of cruises at the moment are doing sort of cruises to nowhere with just days at sea. Uh, and I think you mentioned that we might have a, a listener question about um, yeah, we have, to yeah. nowhere with days at sea as well, um, which I, I personally don't think is a problem. But I think a lot of people do go on cruises so that they can, you know, enjoy themselves uh, visiting different ports. And so that that hasn't changed. It's still something that people think is um, is important. So. Um, you know, if, if we can, we've, we've spoken about this before as well, having like localized voyages in places that have got um, no or or lo- very low community transmission. And so I, I guess it's sort of just uh, as a way potentially that um, when COVID's under control might be able to help the cruise lines out of uh, the situation that they're in. Yeah, yeah. Over, overall, though, positive uh, positive survey, which is uh, always Oh, news. yes, absolutely. And yeah. um, I think I feel like we speak about Ponant every single week, but they're, <laughs> they're doing some incredible things back in back in Europe. Obviously, they're a French-flagged cruise line, um, mm-hmm. but they are currently working on their, their newest ship, which will be the Comment Chocot, um, yes. in my best French accent. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they've got an update on that, that particular vessel. Yeah, so she's a, I think we might have mentioned her before in a previous um, chat, but she's a small ship around about 130, 135 rooms. Um, and she's designed to operate um, polar expeditions. So going up into icy um, icy waters and icy conditions where you usually want to keep a, a ship away. Um, obviously, we all remember what happened with uh, icebergs and Titanic, but this particular ship is designed with a polar class two hull. So she's absolutely designed to be able to operate in the areas that she's um, she's designed to be selling in, which will offer people a fantastic experience um, to see parts of the world where you don't usually go um, on cruise ships. Now, she's also notable because she's um, powered by LNG. So as opposed to using the sort of bunker um, fuels, the bunker diesels, and which you know do get criticised for their um, carbon footprint, this mm-hmm. one here has got the uh, liquefied natural gas engines, which will make her a cleaner ship um, than previous generations of, of passenger ships. Now, she's been cons- under construction, but she's been towed to Saint-Nazaire in France, um, famous shipbuilding um, city um, responsible for ships like the Normandy and also Queen Mary too. Um, but she's been towed there to have her um, pods installed. So this is her propulsion system. Uh, many, many ships use uh, pods. And in fact, um, one of the fantasy class ships that we were talking about before was one of the first um, ships to to have. That's right, yeah, yeah. The cruising market that was Elation, I think it was, and then Paradise also has it. But 
I'm, I'm digressing. Um, so how pods work for anyone who doesn't doesn't know is that you kind of picture the enormous sort of outboard motors that are sort of attached to but sort of hang underneath the ship. Um, they're kind of if you think about like a maybe ovalish sort of shape with the propeller usually at the front. They usually pull the ship through the water rather than push them. But they're attached to the ship on a on a rotating um, system which allows it to rotate um, 360 degrees. So rather than using a rudder, the pod or the pods in this case can act as a rudder. They just change the angle in which the pods are directed and the ship can turn. It also makes maneuvering and docking really easy because you don't in many cases need to have stern thrusters. You just have your bow thruster and your pod turned Mm -hmm. to the right angle and the ship can move sideways. Um, So those are being installed in France uh, and she's expected to enter the fleet in 2021. Brilliant. And um, our friends at Uniworld, they offer a, an alternate brand, U by Uniworld. It was called U Cruises for, for a little while, but it's reverted to U by Uniworld. Um, they're going to be offering uh, uh, some themed cruises for, for 2021. Yeah, so they've been doing um, some themed voyages in the past, and it's proved to be um, pretty popular. So they're doing a couple um, of themed voyages. There's a, a food theme that they're going to be um, releasing for 2021, but I think one of the ones that is even more potentially um, interesting for families particularly and families with older children or teenagers is that they're doing a, a thing called Gen Z on you, um, which is kind of their way of challenging the stereotype that cruising is for older passengers. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've created an entire program around the teenage audience um, designed to keep them entertained and I guess then allow for the parents to have a holiday with their with their older children and teenagers, but um, also the parents can then go off and do their own thing and the kids or the teenagers won't feel uh, bored or, or like, you know, left out or anything. So they're going to, I mean, they're including special places on board the ship. There's teen lounges, there's karaoke um, set up just for the teenagers to enjoy, things like foosball that you can play. But they're also doing things like camping on the top deck under the stars. Oh, wow. Um, so it, it's sort of like a, a bit of a... Uh, variety of different offers for the different personalities I suppose that come on board Um, and they're also um, offering a series of experiences designed around life events so you know for milestone birthdays maybe um, or uh, end of school celebrations graduations that sort of thing that you can enjoy on board the ship so it's it's, you know a bit of a different take on um, on cruising and I think uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, lots of kids clubs and stuff for the younger kids. Um, so it would be interesting to see how the um, the teenagers and, and that the Gen Zs on board um, re- respond to that offering. Yeah, I think it'll be very, very popular. Um, po- possibly multi-gen grandparents taking the teenagers away mm. as well. Um, how nice would that be? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the grandparents and stuff. Yeah, give them a great opportunity to to spend some time with their with their families. Absolutely. Now, before you go, Chris, we've got a couple of listener questions. Um, mm-hmm. The first one comes in from Kirsty. She says um, she's booked a cruise, sorry, a family cruise for December 2021 on Carnival Splendor, celebrating a milestone birthday. Any top tips for my first cruise? Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting one. So, Carnival Splendor. I think we did a you did a travel review on that one. Yeah, one of the early episodes. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, firstly, I suggest checking that out because you know you can get some sort of um, idea as to what other people have enjoyed. Like I think it's you know going on a um, on a cruise, new ship potentially. I don't know. Doesn't doesn't she didn't say, but um, whether she's been on board before. But I would go check out your deck plans before you go 
check out what the events are on board is there a theme on the cruise like do as much sort of research as you can about what you can experience on the ship so that when you're there you're not spending the first few days of your voyage trying to work out like your way around or or what you can um experience and carnival spend is a you know a big ship so there's lots of things to do on board um have you been on board yeah i have sailed on her a couple of times actually um and you're right with the themes um if she has um booked through a travel agent has the travel agents give you the theme flyer it's something they can mm-hmm. download from the carnival system because depending on the, the length of your voyage there will be between two to four theme nights which might be mm-hmm. uh, uh glow glow in the dark it might be hawaii and there's all the, all these different themes but everybody really gets involved and dresses up and makes a makes a part of it so that's definitely a really really good tip um, and like you say, just uh, have a. There will be people that will have posted past um, daily planners, so you can get a feel for what's happening around the ship. Mm. Um, and, and she said it's a, a milestone birthday, so let the cruise line know that. Absolutely. It's, I mean, if you want to, let them know it's a milestone birthday because they'll probably make a fuss for oh, you. I know. On, absolutely. I haven't been on Carnival Splendor, but on other cruises, I've had myself or friends or family have had birthdays on board, and they'll they'll bring you cake and sing to you and all sorts of other things so yeah and it just adds a little bit of a little bit of flair to the to the experience which is quite nice absolutely and my other one tip um, for anybody ever cruising is always try and budget for one of the speciality restaurants just i mean particularly now you've got a milestone birthday here but even if you haven't mm. just the fact that you can elevate your dining experience at least once during the cruise and um, really celebrate the fact that you're, you're out at sea is, is probably my biggest yeah. tip and my other thing yeah. would be uh, put everything that you're going to pack on the bed and then put mm. all of it back in the wardrobe because you won't wear it <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's very true too. And and I think, um, you know, I quite often get like uh, three or four days in people saying, oh, I finally figured my way around the ship and I finally know where everything is. And then the cruise is over. So, you know, all of the, de- it's not the same as being there, but all the deck plans, Carnival, I think has like virtual tours or videos and stuff about each of their different ships. It just gives you an opportunity to kind of get familiar with what the place you're going to be. So I mean, treat going on the cruise like if you're going to another city. You do a little bit of research first and work out like what you want to see on board, and that's the same thing on the ship. There's lots of different op- opportunities and experiences on board, but don't spend like half your first day on board the ship trying to work out where the restaurant is. You know, for example, <laughs> like just get that beforehand so you can you can get on with it and enjoy yourself. Absolutely. Some ships actually have patterns in the carpet that help you navigate whether you're going forward or aft, but uh, Carnival doesn't have that. I'm afraid. Does Carnival do the? Um, they don't do the the days of the weeks and the elevators, do they? No, 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 no. That's uh, Holland America. That's helpful as well. <laughs> yeah, just so you can remember, especially if you're on a longer cruise. Now we've got a second question came in from Denise. A group of friends have booked a three night weekend cruise to nowhere. As a first time cruiser, I'm starting to worry about the sea days. Will I be bored? What happens on a sea day? Oh, I don't think you'll be bored. Three nights? Nah, it's not like well, three nights is usually two two days at sea. I think you'll be. Um, I think you'd be absolutely fine. Um, it, she doesn't say which ship she's. No, she hasn't. No, no, no. No, fair enough. Um, look, I think the sea days is when the ship comes alive. Like ports are great, um, but ports are great as a place to, you know, as a place to visit. So if you're going to go to a port, you obviously want to go and see that port. But in, in terms of the ship, the ship really comes alive when it's at sea. That's where that's when it becomes sort of the destination into itself. So when you're at sea, you'll have all of the activities will be up and running. The um, entertainment will be um, at its best on sea days as opposed to sometimes they do like slightly smaller shows or localized entertainment when they're in ports but when the, when it's at sea you'll have the production shows and lots of stuff um, you'll have all the activities um, the, the providing that the weather's good the top deck will be perfect if you're um, on a ship that's got sort of pool decks and that sort of thing that's all going to be up and running during um, during the sea days uh, you'll definitely be able to 
you know, check out the various different restaurants and stuff whilst the ship's sailing. Um, there, depending on what cruise line, there may be a lecture program on board. So you might be able to um, go and, and, and learn something new, which is you know, many people enjoy on, on some of the cruise lines, um, which again, isn't possible when the ship's in, in port. They, they always sort of have that scale back when the ship's um, alongside. So I think if, it, if you're going on a cruise, if you're going to try out the cruise experience and you've got the opportunity to do um, a little cruise to nowhere, which might in fact be the way things sort of rebound here yep. um, in the short term, it, it's definitely the way to get the cruise experience because that's when the ship's at its best. Yeah, and I agree. You will not be bored. There is so much going on from sunrise to well beyond midnight. There is something going on pretty much every minute of the day at uh, various places around the ship. And uh, as you're cruising with a group of friends, you'll also make your own entertainments. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's just it. Like when the ship's in port, um, so you do a port, a port intensive voyage and you might meet, say you've got a five-day voyage and you've got one day at sea and the rest of it's in port. So you, you'll meet some people around the ship, but, you know, just be like, hello kind of stuff but if you're at sea for a few days um the people that you kind of meet you've got plenty of time so you get chatting to them you get to meet like make new friends and sometimes those friendships last like forever but again as you say you can make your entertainment you get to um experience uh the 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 shipboard entertainment which is all up and running it's it's a great way to, to to try it out yeah, I agree completely. Um, if you have got a listener question, you can get in touch with us via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. There's a little button saying join the show. Just click on that and type in your question, send it through to us, and we'll do our best to answer it in future editions. Chris, it's always a pleasure, mate. Thank you very much for your time. We look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks so much, Barry. When you're packing for your next cruise, maybe consider a new pair of handmade sandals to go. Uh, Evocus are handmade in Spain and sold with love here in Australia by sandalsandsunsets.com.au. You'll find all the details in the show notes below. And next up on the podcast, we're joined by Honey, who has uh, been uh, cruising quite a lot recently. In fact, uh, Honey's background is as a travel writer, and uh, she has her own blog and her own uh, social channels, which we'll talk about towards the, the end of the show. But Honey, first of all, welcome to the show. Ahoy, Barry. Hi. I believe today we're going to be talking about dream cruises, and in particular, the Genting Dream, uh, which uh, sails out of Singapore normally. Yeah, that's correct. I went uh, last year in May. Oh, fabulous. So obviously you're here in Australia. I think we'll start off with uh, how you got up to, to Singapore and if you had any uh, pre-accommodation in the, the, beautiful, uh, the beautiful island country of Singapore. Right. So, yes, I spent the day beforehand. I really wanted to explore a bit of Singapore as I hadn't been there before. I'd been in transit, but I hadn't actually spent any time in the city and I was really looking forward to exploring the day before going on the cruise. Uh, I stayed in a gorgeous hotel, which wasn't too far from the port, about a 20 minute drive. And it was a great way to just, you know, unwind, uh, just kind of um, have a look around and be ready for my next adventure on the ship. So what did you think about Singapore being your first visit? Oh my goodness. So the first experience, the first thing that hit me was obviously the humidity. <laughs> yep, yep. I've got crazy curly hair and I absolutely threw away my straightening tongs because I thought there's no point straightening my hair while I'm in Singapore. <laughs> um the next thing that I that that really kind of 
took my breath away was just how beautiful it was. I mean, I've never seen an airport so beautiful, so clean, full of orchids. I mean, who has like bunches and bunches of orchids at the baggage collection? It was just stunning. (laughs) Um, It was very easy, very safe. And I'm a huge foodie, so I couldn't wait to just drop my bags off the hotel and explore some of the uh, the noodle markets and little little kind of uh, eateries in Singapore because the Singaporeans are known for their food and their love for food and you know where else to try the best you know curries and noodles and rice dishes than in Singapore itself. Oh, absolutely couldn't agree more. I mean, um, there's a reason why Singapore Changi Airport is consistently voted the best airport in the world. There is nothing that comes close to to Singapore Changi Airport, and uh, I think Singapore's got a bit of a reputation of being a, a very expensive destination to to eat out and to drink out. But if you do it right, if you go to those hawkers markets where all of the the locals eat, you have incredible food for very very realistic prices. Absolutely, and. Um... I think some, I've got friends who are expats from Sydney that live in Singapore and they gave me kind of the, the lowdown on where to go and where to stay. So I didn't find it expensive at all. I found the taxi services perfectly clean and very cheap compared to Sydney. And yep. wherever I ate, it was very easy to order and everything was delicious. Even, uh, I mean, I, I recall having, you know, a, a luxa at a local little place and with with a drink and with a couple of different side dishes. I think it cost me a whole lot of six Australian dollars. So I didn't yeah. find it expensive at all. And I, I was traveling solo. And so I, I was very, I felt very safe everywhere I went. And even in, you know, I think I was walking around at midnight trying to find something to eat because I didn't want to sleep on to soak in <laughs> every last minute before jumping on the ship. And I felt completely at ease and very, very easy to get around. Oh, brilliant. You know, I, I, I go back to Singapore time and time again, and every time I go back, I always find something to, to new to discover, which is fabulous. Um, now, you mentioned um, you, you you obviously were a short drive away from the port. Out of interest, where did your cruise depart from? Was it out of the, the new Marina Bay Terminal or out of the original uh, no, the, the new one, the new one actually, and it was um, it was very easy to navigate. It's a huge centre, brand new, very modern looking, um, and it was quite seamless to actually go through check in. There were a lot of people there. Um, I, I I always love that moment when you're driving up to the port and you can see the ship, and because yeah. of the new, I'm not sure if you've been there at the new port. There's this kind of huge wall. <laughs> So you can't see the ship in its entirety, but I, it, the Genting Dream was so large. It was poking up from the top, but it was very mm-hmm. easy um, and air-conditioned. You have to, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. a must anywhere in Singapore. Absolutely. And do you remember roughly how long it took you to get from, say, curbside to the actual gangway of the ship? Um, they did a staggered um, embarkation and there are a few things that are different than in Sydney. So there were different visa protocols. So it did take a, a little bit longer than I expected. The The check-in initially with the luggage and so forth didn't take all that long, but going through the customs took a little bit longer. But I wouldn't say right. it took more than an hour. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's pretty good considering yeah. it's a international. And... Um, you, you you walk across the gangway. You walk into the ship. What are your, your first impressions? Oh my! I was oh my my smile couldn't get wider, and neither could my eyes. It was just <laughs> like, <laughs> it was incredible. It, it it was the largest ship that I've I've been on. 
um, probably excluding a visit on the ovation of the seas. I think they're pretty much the same size just from memory. But um, the first thing I saw was uh, the smiling faces of the crew. And yep. uh, I, I fell in love with the crew actually and their uniforms. I'm a, you know, when you get the first impression of these beautifully tailored gorgeous uniforms it kind of sets the the mood for the rest of the adventure and uh, there were smiling faces there you know some of them did not speak English which was fine it wasn't too much of a language barrier but a smile can can evoke so much and it was very 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 welcoming and very warm now are you one of these people that goes straight to your cabin drops your bags or are you straight into a restaurant to get a meal or are you trying to find your way around the ship and get your bearings as quickly as possible well the, the first thing I did do was go to my cabin because I, I did have a hand luggage with me being a cereal overpacker I um <laughs> I had a, a whole bag of of shoes that I had to drop off so I wanted to go to the cabin and once I got to the cabin I was completely mesmerized yeah they're, they're pretty um pretty impressive uh, cabins aren't they oh just beautiful I can I can honestly say um I've never been I've never stayed in a more beautiful cabin yeah, I particularly like the bathrooms on, on this particular ship. Oh, my goodness. I tell you, I've, the shower was incredible. It was a full shower, um, a glass a glass door shower, and there was all this room to put all my toiletries and makeup, and it was unbelievable. And let's not talk, let, let's not forget about the dream beds. I think they're like a thousand thread sheet, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. sheets, Egyptian cotton. It was just incredible. Yeah, there's always a joke on the podcast. We always ask about whether it's a shower curtain or a glass screen, and it really does make oh. a big difference. Uh, <laughs> it makes a huge difference. You know, I just, I loved it. I didn't feel as if I'd, I'd, I was in a ship cabin bathroom, actually. Now, talking about the, the cabin, what, what type of cabin were you in? I was in a balcony cabin, and where it was situated, I think I was on, from memory, it's a bit hard to think now, I think I was around on deck seven or eight but where it was situated um there was kind of like um a not an awning but you it didn't look straight down into the ocean it looked straight down onto some kind of uh structure (laughs) so it just seemed and it made it feel even more spacious because there was you know other cabins around me but I had this kind of all-encompassing kind of balcony that just made it feel even more spacious, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course, absolutely. And was there plenty of USBs, plenty of storage in the cabin? Oh, I love having the USB right on the bed head or on the on the on the bed. It was really really helpful, so I could have my phone um, plugged in. There were USB ports on the bed. There was USB ports all over the cabin. Probably, I'd say at least four different outputs, and that was great because I have my recording equipment, my laptop, and and my phone and other things. So it was there was nothing that I could have asked for that was better in that cabin, to be honest. Now, um, no cruise can get underway until we've done, of course, the mandatory lifeboat drill. Um, how, is it, how does it take place um, on board uh, Genting Dream? Well, you know, I dumped my, my baggage. I had a quick freshen up and I went to go find something to eat. And I'm thinking, 
muster must be, you know, shortly within the next hour or so. And um, there didn't seem to be an announcement or rushing to go get our life vests or anything like that. And so I stood right at the uh, the highest deck and I thought I'm going to look down and see what I can and see if what's happening. And um, I tried to communicate with the crew, when's muster, where's muster, do I have to go anywhere? And it was communicated back to me that there wasn't a mandatory muster that you had to kind of congregate in one place. So as we left <laughs> the port, I remember standing on deck 15 or 16, looking out and listening to the muster over the over the loudspeaker. And that was the entirety of it, which oh, for wow. me was very civilised. It was yeah. very civilised. It was a beautiful way just to watch us pull out very slowly and, and hear the announcements. And it was um, done in Mandarin and also in English. Of course, yeah, yeah. Now, there's lots of dining choices um, on this particular mm-hmm. vessel. Let's start off with um, the, the buffet um, and then into the main dining room and then into one of the speciality restaurants if you were lucky enough to to try them. Oh, look, let me just preempt by saying I didn't, I ate so much aboard the Genting Dream and I tried nearly every specialty restaurant. So I was probably about five kilos heavier when I got off the five night cruise. <laughs> um, what really, what really took my attention and I found it quite different than any other kind of buffet or, or, or main dining area, as you would refer to it, um, was that there were so many more different styles of options if that makes sense so let me put that in a better way so out of Australia you usually have you know main buffet with you know your cold your hot and desserts and that sort of thing but on the Genting Dream they had um, vegetarian options a specific and it wasn't just one dish it was a huge array of vegetarian options Um, there was um, you know specific uh, regional type of cuisine so you had like as well as that um, the vegetarian there was the Indian there was an, a very specific Asian section I believe there were also some halal options and then you had your western options as well so it was extremely uh, there was there was a, a lot of variety there was a lot to choose from and even if you weren't a vegetarian it was good to think, oh, maybe I will try this, this beautiful curry that was sitting there. Oh, the curry's um, the best. That, the Indian section is my go-to every single time. It was incredible, actually. And it was nice to be able, because I, I mean, I love food. I'm a huge foodie. I love um, Indian and Asian food. So I was, I was keen to try the Asian, but then I was surprised there were so many different Indian options. And that just gave your palate a whole new kind of um, experience. You know, you're like, hmm, a bit of Western, a bit of Asian, a bit of Indian. It was just exciting. It was, I felt like I was a kid in a candy store. <laughs> How about the main dining room? I only ate at the main dining room a couple of times and, again, the huge options that you could choose from was just amazing and everything was very, very high quality. But most of the, but the other nights we were hosted at the different specialty restaurants and they were another experience on top of that. So I was, I was so fortunate to have all of that experience. Which was your favourite out of the specialty restaurants? Oh, my goodness. The one that really comes to mind that jumps at me would probably be the teppanyaki. And not just because of the incredible food, but just the theatre of it. It was so interactive. The chefs were incredibly uh, entertaining and they made it fun. And we were bursting at the seams from laughter, but also from the food. We couldn't couldn't (laughs) eat anymore. That was amazing. But 
I would, you know, that was an incredible experience. And then, of course, you know, Chef Mark Best, his restaurant was insane. And my favorite, one of my, I'm not a big seafood eater, but one of my favorite things um, to eat are scallops and this magical velvety um, risotto with grilled scallops on top. I can still taste it now over a year later. So Mark Best has really outdone himself with, with that. He works very closely with the chefs to incorporate local produce and have really interesting and intricate um, menus devised so that everyone just gets to have this brand new culinary experience aboard the Genting Dream. And, and that's that's a big thing about sailing on Genting and Dream Cruises is that you are your 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 experience, your food experience is quite different and quite extraordinary. And you're you're introduced to a whole range of new flavours. Now, you were cruising before COVID. Um, cruise lines have always been very hot on hand washing and sanitising, etc. Um, just talk us through how that was handled on board when you, when you were cruising. On the Genting Dream, I found that the whole ship just smelled of that new sh- that new car, new ship experience. It was mm-hmm. uh, it was very very clean. I think my cabin was cleaned at least twice a day, and. Um, it just had this fresh, clean smell. There wasn't a plate that was left unattended. Um, there was a lot of sanitization, um, you know, um, places all around the ship. And I'm a bit of a germaphobe, and I wash my hands more than <laughs> more than most people do normally. And I found that it was just spotlessly clean, and a lot of measures were already in place to make sure that there was a lot of sanitization. Of course. Now, um, there's a lot of lounge spaces, a lot of um, deck space, there's water parks, there's so many activities to, to do. Um, how was the flow of people, on, particularly on a sea day? Like, could you find a, a sun lounger? Could you find a quiet spot in a lounge if you wanted to? It was quite extraordinary because I thought such a big ship, um, I would be, you know, there'd be crowds milling around. But as you said, the number of activities that there are aboard, um, there's always something to do and there was never a crowd um, I remember on my second last day, it was a sea day and and I just wanted to have a bit of quiet time to have a bit of a swim. And because of the demographic of, of the cruises from Singapore, there's a lot of Chinese, there's a lot of Indian, I'm, they're not big sun-worshipping people like us Aussies. <laughs> and I found that I went to the aft of the ship where they have the Zouk bar, so there's this massive area with this kind of um, amphitheatre-style seating Um, beds, canopies, two big spas and a huge screen. And I was out there on my own for a full two hours without another soul. And I just felt as if I was in it. I I felt as if I was on a private yacht that was just chartered for me. (laughs) It was one of the most incredible experiences. It was a perfectly bluebird day. It was sunny and I was sitting in this spa and there was not a sight and there was not a person in sight. There was music, very nice music in the background and it was incredible. But everywhere I went, um, there was there was somewhere to sit. Uh, whenever I sat at a bar, it didn't take long to get a drink. Um, if I was going to do the activities, so the water slides or um, there was a um, high rope section as well, there, wasn't, um, there weren't crowds at all. So you mentioned the um, the ropes course and, and the the activity area on the ship. Are you a bit of an activity junkie? Did you do the ropes course? Did you do the zip line off the side of the ship? 
Uh, I didn't do the zip line actually. We were so busy doing other things. Um, the ropes course I had a look at, but it was a little bit, uh, a little bit windy. So I thought I would try it another time, which I didn't get round to doing. Um, there was a bowling alley. I did the water slides. I'm just thinking what else I did. I I tried to get around. The ship is so big. This is the thing. The ship is so big that. Um, it's hard to fit everything in <laughs> on a sea day and when you're at port days as you know there's not a lot of, a lot of time to go back and do the activity so i could easily spend another 2 weeks on that ship and still not get round to do everything <laughs> brilliant <laughs> now do you remember, happen to remember the cost of say a beer or a specialty coffee on board or a glass of wine yeah sure i think the i think the beer and wine and, and uh, some of the other drinks like that just the plain kind of alcoholic beverages were probably about um eight to ten dollars yeah um what i really love though um and you mentioned before there are a lot of different lounges and bars and that sort of thing um, there was one bar that had live music which i went to every evening and between a certain time it was two for one cocktails oh wow it was <laughs> It was so incredible. Um, and I'm not a big drinker, but I do love my cocktails. And the theatre they put into that and the beautiful, beautiful um, uh, accompaniment, accompaniments they put with the cocktails was incredible. So I was buying, you know, shouting drinks around, you know, two cocktails for $13 was just incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think the cocktails range from about 10 to $15, depending on what was in them. Uh, coffees were probably four or five dollars I believe Um, but they also had other refreshments that you get um, on land that I haven't seen other ships such as like bubble teas and fresh juices that were really beautifully made up. You spoke about the lounges and the different spaces um, around the ship how about the entertainment Um, was there lots of live music around the ship was did you go and see any of the theatre shows? We were so fortunate to go see um, one of the theatre shows. As I said, we were really busy every single night. And hands down, from the 23 cruises I've done so far, Genting have the best entertainment on board. And when I'm referring to the entertainment, it's primarily the production shows. They're like something you would see you know, at a, at a state theatre or on Broadway or something along that level. I'm just trying to find the right words to tell you how good they were. It wasn't just the singing and the dancing and, and the music, but it was production, it was the lighting, it was the sound, it was the whole experience. And it was absolutely extraordinary. You would pay hundreds of dollars to go watch a show like that on land and I've never seen anything that comes, comes close to that um, on any other ship. Um, I love live music. I, I'm, I, I'm a bit of a, a try-hard bass player, so I love watching live music. And uh, the live music that I did get was very high quality as well. The entertainers were very welcoming and, and very friendly. Um, through the evening, there was always entertainment at a bar called 360. And that was kind of like a central bar that was multi-floored. It was kind of in the middle of like an atrium style. Oh, I know describe. what you mean. Yep, yep. Yeah, and they call it Bar 360. So you could see the music from whichever deck you were on in the main part of the ship. And there was also always a duo playing there. And there was this one duo that sang for hours and hours. And I thought they didn't get tired. They didn't get narky. They just kept on taking requests and playing. So that work ethic really came through as well from the entertainers. And they wanted to make sure that you're having a great time. 
Um, but it was fabulous. Yeah, no, I remember. I don't. I don't remember the name of the show, but I remember seeing something in the main theatre that was very, very Cirque du Soleil-ish. Um, lots of acrobatics and, and as you say, really, really good theatre um, um, entertainment there. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, there's there were different types. There was you know music, mu- sorry, there were magicians and there was dance productions and there was you know musical productions, but also this kind of contortionist and and Cirque du Cirque du Soleil style of entertainment that was just the variety was incredible sure now um we haven't talked about where you went on this cruise yet so let's um talk Mm. obviously we're leaving Singapore we're heading somewhere in Asia where do we go to name the ports and tell us what you did whilst you were ashore well our first port was Malaysia so Pulau Redang which is a little island and that was like something out of a postcard it was it was so beautiful. I've been to all the South Pacific islands and you know, a lot of islands off the east coast of Australia, but this was like, I can't believe I'm here. It was as if you took a snapshot of the most perfect coloured water, um, you know, the, the trees swaying. It's it's different. When you go to the South Pacific, you see palm trees and it's very tropical. And then when you see something in Malaysia, it was, it was just, it was almost familiar, but not. And as we took the tender out from the ship and we approached um, Palau Redang, I was like, wow, this is, this is gorgeous. It's paradise. Fabulous. And then where to next? The next stop was Cambodia. And we're really fortunate that we um, had a private bus for our group. And we were driven to a little kind of uh, a little river for a river cruise with a traditional canoe. And that was quite eye-opening. It was beautiful. And a storm was approaching as we got onto this little kind of wooden canoe. Oh, wow. um, it wasn't raining very hard, but there was lightning and rumbling thunder in the distance. And it was, um, I was trying to capture it, but, you know, it's very hard to capture lightning. But it was a very serene kind of jungle, tropical canoe ride. And when we got to our destination, we... We're in this um, this little village, and there were cashew nut trees and and different trees, which Mark Best, who was travelling with us, was pointing out to us. Um, and we also stopped at a temple. It was lovely to see some culture as well. Uh, but it was a very quick trip, and you know I would like to explore more of Cambodia, maybe in, in different kind of tourist areas that are a bit further to get to from the port. Right, fair enough. And any other ports? Yeah, our third stop was Thailand. So we went to Bangkok and, again, that yeah. humidity hits you like a wet, bloody towel. <laughs> and <laughs> we were on this air-conditioned coach and it was a couple of hours' drive. So I've got to see the freeway mostly <laughs> in, in Thailand. And it yeah, was the all... port is quite a way out from Bangkok. It is. So I think it took about two hours. We had a stop, but we were taking to a Michelin star restaurant. Oh, that oh, wow. was incredible. Um, and it was in this uh, this kind of upscale Westfield-style shopping centre called Gaysorn and we were treated to the most incredible meal. I can't tell you, this this trip that I had on Genting Dream was truly a bucket list kind of, I'm pinching myself, I'm actually here having <laughs> one of this. So whilst the adventure, the, the trip out to, to Bangkok was quite far it was we could still see you know still got a bit of a vibe of the city um and we had the best experience that you could possibly have you know as as this michelin star meal and we got to meet the chef as well so it was pretty special 
It sounds it. Now, I think I know what your answer to this one is, but was there a standout, uh, one destination that uh, wowed you? (gasps) Oh, my goodness, Malaysia. Malaysia, it was incredible. This island was just like something out of a dream. Um, One of my favourite memories, actually, from that day was the entertainment crew were out and they're having a day. And, um, you know, you, you see everyone kind of sprawled out on the beach and then there's this group of 12 incredibly stunning human beings with perfect bodies <laughs> and perfect faces <laughs> and because you know I went on a wander on my own they asked me to take their photograph and and that just shows you that kind of they're loving the experience too and I took their photo of them all kind of jumping up and down and doing you know beautiful poses and as entertainers do and I just remember this moment of utter joy and thinking I'm actually here you know it's just it was remarkable. Now, I think this is going to be a hard one for you, but have you got a particular area of the ship that would be your, your standout favourite go-to? Oh, making this hard for me. The whole ship is so beautiful. Oh, let me think. Um, can I put into categories, perhaps? Say dining first. <laughs> okay. I, but I was going to talk about the dining. Um, there's this one um, eatery, one, one dining room, and it's... Um, I can't remember the name, but I'm I'm sure I can remember in a second. But it has um, traditional Chinese um, meals. Oh, I know the one you mean. Yeah, yep. And it is so sumptuous and beautiful. There's a big screen in there and they do um, kind of like a dinner show as well. We didn't actually see the show, but it's stunning. They have this incredible kind of plush velvety curtains there's um, artworks on the walls in this beautiful Asian style the colors there's gold and red and and just very very you you feel as if you've stepped into you know a a a ballroom in a castle and oh wow the plates are beautiful they're you know they they've got they've got gold etching on them and the tables are set the tables and the chairs are set beautifully. Um, and I must say from a visual standpoint, even if you don't like very traditional Chinese food, that room was incredible, just just incredible for its, for its impact and creating the scene. Yep. Um, the after the ship where, the, where I was explaining before where I had a swim, that was just amazing there were all these um kind of pool cabana areas that you could these big kind of day beds that you could lounge around in the spas the the outdoor shower it's just stunning the whole time you feel as if even if you're not in the palace and we'll get to that (laughs) even if you're not in the palace you feel as if you're you know in a six-star resort and you are you know you are the most fortunate you know, person aboard and you've been taking, every whim of yours is taken care of. Sounds good. Now you've touched on the palace. Of course, we do need to talk about it. I, I take it you did get a sneaky peek at uh, some of the, the beautiful features of the, well, the best way to describe it is a ship within a ship. It's the That's right. um, uh, upper, it's, it's more luxurious than anywhere else on the ship. It really elevates it to the next level. And when you book accommodation or a suite in the palace, you get butlers you get private dining rooms uh, all lots of benefits and perks so tell us about your thoughts on the palace well you hit hit the nail on the head there that ship within a ship ship experience that you have on Genting Dream but it's um oh my goodness I didn't want to leave I tried to hide (laughs) (laughs) I tried to hide but it's really really hard to remember that you're on a ship when you go visit the palace now 
yes, you have your butlers. And I know that sounds like something out of Seinfeld, having your butler, but the butlers are like these angels that take care of every whim that you could possibly want. And they're beautifully dressed in these, in a different uniform, so they stand out. Um, the drinks and the food and, and all of that is included. But the sweets are incredible. Now, there are different ranges of sweets, but the highest um, the highest level has got a grand piano in there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> a grand piano in a suite. Um, it's a two-storey style um, accommodation. Outside, you have your private sauna and a private spa. And then you have an upstairs area where you have your own kind of outdoor deck. It, it's something that you wouldn't, ever imagine that you would see on a ship or when you're in there to even remember that you're there uh the furnishings are are out of this world when when you talk about five-star hotels this is like a seven-star kind of luxury uh the food is incredible we were so lucky we were invited to have an outdoor uh, barbecue it was it was told we were told we're going to a barbecue at the palace but we were served (laughs) We were served Verve Clicquot and lobster. I mean, okay. I don't know what kind of barbecue. Different level of barbecue, yeah. It's a different level of barbecue with our wonderful butlers running back and forth, bringing us bowls of the most velvety, incredible, indulgent chocolate chip ice cream. It was, I really felt like Lady Muck. You know, I'm I'm a suburban <laughs> mum that shops at Kmart and, and, <laughs> and to go. Yeah. And and, and and grabs takeaway food at the local Thai. And to be treated to this is incredible. Um, the outdoor area of the palace, the first thing that came to my mind was I'm somewhere in Hollywood in a very exclusive retreat. It was yep. so beautiful, so clean. I think the good thing about the palace is if you're – maybe if it's a multi-generation holiday, maybe the grandparents want that extra level of luxury and they can have their little space and seclusion if they want to whilst – the the the, chill, the grandchildren and the, the younger people that want all the activities of the water park and the ropes course and the everything that's going on you, you can please everybody by having this ship within a ship com, uh, concept exactly and um because of the different rooms and the way that suites are laid out there's a lot of privacy if you're taking a family with you so you could have you could be all spaced out and nobody would be tripping over each other and you still have that that luxurious experience and you can still experience the rest of the ship as you said so the kids could go to you know the activities or to the um the childcare areas and the parents can be treated to something a little bit different and the grandparents can just chillax <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, some people believe that a cruise director really can elevate your cruise to a different level. Um, Do you particularly remember the cruise director on this ship? Did you get to meet them at all? Unfortunately, I didn't meet the cruise director on the Genting Dream, Um, but we did, did, I think we met them in passing and heard them over the the PA. Um, But the cruise director, which I did meet on the Explorer Dream, and if I could maybe mention Monica, um, because you know, she's worked across the, the whole brand and she's probably the only person that I can, you know, refer to. Mm-hmm. She was absolutely incredible. 
on the first meeting of meeting Monica, um, you feel as if she's your best friend. She's your sister. She remembers your name. She welcomes you with a hug. She's Italian. She's affectionate and loving. And I'm still in contact with her now because we formed a relationship and a friendship straight away. Um, she really made, and she, I mean, she's a testament to the whole company. So even though she was an explorer dream, I can probably talk about this as a generalization of how their cruise directors are. Um, she's got her finger on the pulse. She's, uh, she really made, she was the glue that held everything together from entertainment to welcoming guests to just making sure that everything ran smoothly and a real, a real asset to the company. Yeah. And of course, Explorer Dream was here um, in Australia for for last season. She's not coming back this season, unfortunately, but I do hope that she will be uh, coming back to Australia in future seasons. Um, What do you think resonates with Australians um, for, for, for Dream in particular? You know, before I went on the Explorer Dream, a lot of people asked me on my blog, you know, what's this all about? What's the cruise line about? We'd never heard of them. Should we try it? And I, I did try to uh, relate that it's a very different style of cruising to what Australians are used to. So it's different to uh, P&O and Carnival and, and Princess and Royal Caribbean, all the, one, all the brands that we're used to. And I was a little bit nervous that people would, um, wouldn't enjoy it. Um, but I was thankfully very surprised that every single person that I spoke to and all my readers that went on there and family and friends I took aboard just loved the concept and loved the vibe. Now, when I'm talking about the vibe, it's, you know, each ship, as you would know, that they have, you know, their kind of, their demographics. So it's, you know, party or more aimed towards solo cruises or seniors or families and that sort of thing. Uh, Dream, Explorer Dream was a very kind of welcoming, calm, chilled vibe. But then when you wanted to find the excitement activity to do, they were there. And a huge part of that was the crew. The crew were just so remarkably amazing. And if they didn't have the answer for you and um, they would find out what you needed straight away. Um, At one point I wanted a coffee with almond syrup and my beautiful barista He's, he looked the whole ship for almond syrup. They had hazelnut and they had um, every other flavor you could think of but almond. And I kind of felt a bit bad. I was like, don't worry about it. I'll just have it plain. And 20 minutes later, after going to all the coffee shops on the whole ship, he found me almond syrup. <laughs> <laughs> so they really, go, they really go above and beyond it. I felt a bit, you know, pampered for yeah. that. But that's just an example of what they will do to ensure their, their passengers were happy. Oh, brilliant. That's, that's, that's great news. Um, I always like to think the the – particularly the the ship out of Singapore, it it really would appeal to an Australian that loves Asia. If you love Asian hospitality, if you love Asian food, um, you, you, you're going to tick every single box by taking a, a cruise on Dream out of Singapore because it's it's just got everything that you would want from a holiday. Completely agree. And, you know, for breakfast, I, I went to the main dining room, my last breakfast, to have um, the Chinese breakfast and to have, you know, some or as we call it here in Australia, yum cha for breakfast and dumplings and sticky rice and incredible food like that where was just mind-boggling. I was like, oh, my goodness, I am really having a fancy breakfast right now. The food choices are amazing, just amazing. Now, it's been lovely chatting with you, honey. I've really enjoyed this uh, this review of, of your particular cruise. But before we let you go, we do need to find out a little bit more about you. So obviously you've got your blog and your, your social pages. Tell us where we can find you. 
Oh, you can find me on Cruising with Honey on Facebook, Instagram, and the website. So um, the thing about my blog is that I've I actually am not a travel writer. I didn't, didn't have my background in travel writing. I was oh, a political and <laughs> I was a political journalist for most of my life and, and medical. And I went on a family cruise and thought, oh, I'm just going to write about my experience, and it might resonate with one or two people, or my sister might read it. And four and a half years later, there's 300,000 readers. Uh, it's all about sharing the positivity of cruising, sharing the story, and and whoever is on the page comes cruising with honey. So <laughs> we welcome everyone, and the only thing you need to have is a passion for cruising and a positive attitude. Brilliant. I will be sure to put the link to your, your website in particular into the show notes if anybody uh, can't find you. Um, as I said, absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed chatting with you. And uh, you're always welcome to come back and do another review when, uh, of course, we can cruise again. Hopefully that'll be sometime soon. So we'll see you soon. <laughs> podcast is not possible without the help of our good friends at cruisefinder.com.au. They have more than 30,000 different cruises live on their website, many with live availability and pricing, but most importantly, each and every call, chat and email is answered here in Australia by Australian clear accredited cruise specialists. So when you're looking for your next cruise, please consider the team at cruisefinder.com.au. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.